This is an ABC News special. The impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump. Our country has had enough. We will not take it anymore. Article 1, incitement of insurrection. These powers must apply even if the president commits his offenses in his final weeks in office. From which office shall a non-president be removed if convicted? The Senate having voted the affirmative on the foregoing question, the Senate shall proceed with the trial. From ABC News headquarters, here is correspondent Aaron Katursky. The United States Senate decided today the unprecedented second impeachment trial of former President Trump is constitutional. Six Republicans joined the Democrats in rejecting the attempt to stop it because Trump is no longer in office. The senators were immediately jolted by the scenes of mayhem and violence during a graphic, profane video of the insurrection that former President Trump is accused of inciting. That's a high crime and misdemeanor. If that's not an impeachable offense, then there is no such thing. Lead House impeachment manager Jamie Raskin said it can't be right. The Senate is powerless to hold a former president accountable especially for what impeachment manager Joe Neguse called such a grave offense. Presidents can't inflame insurrection in their final weeks and then walk away like nothing happened. Defense lawyers said former President Trump cannot be punished for what they cast as mere political speech, and they dismissed the trial as a partisan attack. We are really here because the majority in the House of Representatives does not want to face Donald Trump as a political rival in the future. Lead defense attorney Bruce Castor said the American public already held Trump accountable by voting him out of office. So defense attorney David Schoen argued the trial has no point. In a Senate impeachment trial, conviction means and requires removal. And conviction without a removal is no conviction at all. So we begin tonight with ABC News legal analyst Kate Shaw. These arguments set the tone for the week to come, Kate. So let's start broadly. What stuck out to you today? You know, I thought that the impeachment managers led by Jamie Raskin did a very effective job at taking what could be a dry legal argument about the Senate's jurisdiction over certain kinds of individuals um, and, you know, really kind of brought it, that argument to life with narrative and I think by underscoring the stakes, right? So the president's team is, the former president's rather, team is arguing uh, that because he's no longer in office, the Senate lacks the ability or the power to try him at all. And what Raskin and the other managers underscored was that the consequence of that argument is that a president can never be held accountable through the mechanism of impeachment if the misconduct happens late enough in a term, however serious, however egregious the misconduct might be. So the practical consequences are what Raskin in particular returned to a number of times. Um, and, you know, he grounded the constitutional argument in text in precedent, right, uh, mentioning several times that the Senate has considered this question before, that it has held trials for former officials before, and that it would be inconsistent with constitutional design not to allow this trial to go forward, in particular where the misconduct occurred and the impeachment in the House occurred while Donald Trump was the president, was in the White House. And, and, and I, I don't think sound bites fully captured the, the meandering start to the defense argument from, from Bruce Castor. He started even by almost apologizing for the events of January 6th and denouncing the violence. But then he sort of took a bit of an, an odd opening. It was, a, I, I, it was hard to, I think, really capture um, 
what was so sort of strange and unfocused about the argument, Castor sort of conceded um, at the outset that he and the rest of the team had changed their strategy kind of mid-afternoon. And and, um, and that showed, you know, it wasn't a particularly scripted presentation. You know, he did begin by, you know, unequivocally condemning the violence at the Capitol, suggesting you would not hear one word of defense. You know, I think that was an important point to open with. Uh, but then he spoke about the Senate in a very meandering way. What I think he seemed to be suggesting, though he could have been far clearer, was that this idea that the Senate is a cooling saucer, that passions are not supposed to carry the day in the Senate, that the House of Representatives might be a more political body, and thus impeachment in the House you know, may happen routinely, or at least you know, with some regularity, but that the Senate needs to sort of take a more dispassionate look. Um, and what he argued was, or what he, I think, meant to argue was, it was policy politics driving this impeachment in the House. It was, you know, Democrats who control the House's aversion to Donald Trump, uh, desire not to see him again run for president, but that the Senate should be able to transcend those kinds of partisan considerations. But of course, the argument that he was supposed to be making today was that the Senate lacked jurisdiction under the Constitution to hear this trial at all. And while he kind of alluded to that argument, he didn't really make it in a full or forceful way. His co-counsel, I think, was a bit more focused on Constitution constitutional text and constitutional history. Um, but by then, I think everyone was a little bit lost about what the president's defense really looked like. Yeah. In, in fact, we're hearing from several Republican senators uh, who said tonight that the, the former president's defense is off to a bit of a rocky start. It, it was left to, to David Schoen to to maybe go into some of the finer points of constitutional law. Uh, even that, though, got to be a, a, a bit a bit heavy. It was, you know, he he repeatedly read excerpts from constitutional text and sort of made a bunch of arguments that, you know, again, just sort of boiled down to because Donald Trump is no longer the president, the Constitution doesn't give the Senate the power to hold this trial. But it was sort of repetition and kind of repeated reading of constitutional language, a suggestion that because the chief justice wasn't presiding over the trial, that that meant the whole thing was fundamentally illegitimate. That was one argument that was, you know, specifically made. Um but, you know, it wasn't – If I think partially it was because the presentation that had preceded it was so meandering. It never really cohered as an argument. And, you know, one thing I think that actually was pretty important that both of the lawyers for former President Trump kind of conceded today was that they are not arguing that the president or the former president should be beyond accountability. They both referenced the prospect of a criminal prosecution if – you know, the, the, the authorities responsible for assessing such things decided that that was appropriate. I thought that was a really interesting concession to make. Be, you know, I think because the managers were so effective in suggesting it can't be that certain conduct is outside of or, or beyond accountability altogether. So they said this isn't the right venue to hold former President Trump accountable. But, you know, there could be criminal consequences for some of the conduct we're talking about. And that, I think, was a very kind of telling concession that I am sure President Trump was extremely unhappy to hear. Mm. I I did want to ask you about that, because one of the things that I I think it was Castor said is that none of the rioters who have been charged, and there have been nearly 200 so far, have been charged with conspiring with President Trump. And, and, And he seemed to say, had they, then then we'd have something to talk about here. But but absent that, you know, the, the, there's nothing to see here. Is 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 that compelling? 
No, I, I think it's not a frivolous argument. I would say a couple of things. Um, I think that ordinarily, you know, we've seen a lot of charges. Um, and I think that typically a, a, a charge like a, a seditious conspiracy case, right, conspiring to overthrow the government or to thwart the execution of the law, that's seditious conspiracy. And that's a more complicated case than, you know, trespassing or property damage or the other kinds of sort of simple charges that we have largely seen brought uh, to date. So I, I, I would not assume that we have seen the universe of federal charges that are going to be brought against the individuals involved in this. Um, but it, you know, it, it I, I would, so A, I think that, that that's where we are right now, but things could certainly change. Uh, but B, regardless of what the charges look like, I think it is relevant, and I am sure the managers will make this point, that a number of these defendants have suggested in their own defense that they were in the Capitol at the president's invitation or the president's urging. So they themselves understood or believed that what they were doing what did involve, even if it didn't, you know, it wasn't a technical conspiracy with former President Trump, that it was at his behest. And so that seems quite relevant, even if it is certainly true that we haven't seen any charges that actually suggest, and you know, you'd need evidence of involvement um, with with President Trump himself, or at least the team around him. Um, and I just don't know that there's evidence like that, at least that we have seen yet. So I think it's a perfectly reasonable argument for uh, the Trump lawyers to make. But I also think that the managers uh, have pretty effective rejoinders that I'm sure they will offer. ABC News legal analyst Kate Shaw. Kate, our, our thanks to you as the Senate trial, the second one of former President Trump, gets underway with this argument over whether it's even constitutional to hold the trial in the first place. And by a vote of 56 to 44, the U.S. Senate, six Republicans joining the Democrats, voted that it is constitutional. And so the arguments will begin again in earnest at noon Eastern time on Wednesday. The former president tonight is apparently unhappy with the way his defense began. So we turn to ABC News White House correspondent Karen Travers. He didn't like it, Karen? No, that is what sources familiar with the president's day are telling us, uh, that, you know, he, no surprise, was tuning in today, despite staff's best efforts, I think, to keep him away from tuning in and paying attention to what was happening up there. You know, he can't respond. So I think in some ways it's probably difficult for uh, advisors and aides around him to have to watch with him when he can't jump on Twitter and give his real-time commentary on this. Uh, but sources tell us he wasn't pleased with the performance performance of his de defense team, especially Bruce Castor, who went first. Kate just went into a really good explanation as to the kind of the meandering case that he was presenting over the course of just shy of an hour. Uh, but the president, you know, we're told had been expecting a defense that was much less successful than the one he felt he had during the first impeachment trial. Remember, none of the lawyers that were a part of that first round, impeachment one, are playing any role in this second impeachment trial. And in fact, Aaron, the president had a really hard time finding lawyers to represent him. There were names that were floated, then people were not going to be a part of it. So this is all coming together pretty quickly. Still, we're told that uh, the president was stunned to hear some of the arguments, uh, especially when Bruce Castor seemed to be complimenting the presentation by the Democrats. That is not Donald Trump's style. He does not like to see any give, don't concede any points. Uh, so that was not something that he liked to see today on day one. But I think it is important to note that people were trying to keep him away from focusing on the trial. But yes, he was watching some of it. ABC's Karen Travers, our White House correspondent. In fact, I uh, want to pull Rick Klein, our political director, into the conversation because one of the arguments that Bruce Castor, the president's uh, former president's defense attorney, made went 
into something that, that former President Trump has yet to do, and that is really concede the results of what happened in the election. Yeah, Aaron, it was so interesting because we know he's, that he has had tension with his legal team over this very fact, not wanting to concede that point, wanting to relitigate the election. But a key point of the argument that you heard from Mr. Castor was that the process worked. He said it's worked 100% of the time, that if people don't like the occupants of the Oval Office, they vote someone else in. And he said that worked. So there's no issue here, uh, and there shouldn't be no issue going forward. Of course, the crux of the, the Democrats' case here is that it almost didn't work, that it came perilously close to not work. And it's because of the president's actions and words that it got so close to, to going off the rails like it never has before in the 200 plus years of this country. But that point alone is further than anything that President Trump, ex-President Trump has done in terms of conceding the election to this day, Aaron, and certainly through January 6th. But here on February 9th, he still hasn't said, yes, I lost the election. ABC News political director Rick Klein, and I want to pull Elizabeth Schulze into the conversation, too, who joins us from Washington, because we heard from several Republican senators as they came off the Senate floor tonight uh, that even they thought kind of a rocky start for the president's defense. We did. So there were six Republican senators who voted to move forward with this trial, saying that it is constitutional. And notably, that is one higher than the previous vote. And the, the one who said, I am actually going to say this is constitutional now is Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, who said one of the reasons why this needs to move forward is that this presentation from Trump's legal team was disorganized and random. And he said that he's an impartial juror and that if anyone listened to these arguments, they recognized that the House managers were focused and organized and they relied on precedent while Trump's team really was a little bit all over the place. So notably how that those six senators did take a stand to say we would like to see this out, but also notable that there is a majority of Republicans who are saying we've already made up our mind that this trial shouldn't be happening in the first place. Yeah, And, and Steve Roberts, the ABC News political analyst, joins us tonight too. Steve, the, the there are no minds being changed here. Republicans seem to be dug in. Uh, Why might they be uncomfortable, though, with the way the defense started? Well, because there's a whole other audience here, Aaron. This is not just being beamed out to 100 senators. This is being beamed out by radio and TV to uh, voters all over the country. And the Republicans are caught in a very difficult position because 56 percent of Americans in our uh, ABC poll think Trump should be convicted. And if you look at his, uh, Trump's favorable ratings these days, they're down uh, in the 30s. And so they have tied themselves to an increasingly unpopular figure. Now, Trump remains the dominant figure in the Republican Party. He can threaten to campaign against his enemies in primaries. And you think about Republican primaries, uh, Trump is still a very popular figure. But um, uh, what the Republicans are facing here is is lashing themselves to a figure who uh, whose popularity is plummeting, uh, 38% favorable rating in the national averages, and the Democrats, by making the kind of case they have today, are trying to speak to that wider political audience. They know they're not changing any votes in the U.S. Senate, but they do hope that they are saying to the American people that, uh, look, uh, this is the Donald Trump we want you to remember. You know, and and 15 percent of Republicans in our poll said they thought Trump should be convicted. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot, Aaron, 
But a 15% defection rate from Trump among Republicans is huge. That's millions and millions of votes. So that's why Republicans are, are, are upset. It's not just because of what's happening inside the Senate. It's what's happening in the, in the politics outside, around the country, where they are connected to a figure who is damaged and, and uh, is losing popularity and uh, is facing this kind of case that has been very effectively made by Democrats, not legally, but politically today, Aaron. And, and, and politically is, is, is where this, of course, turns. And, and, and Rick Klein, that there were, in Bruce Castor's rather folksy tone, still some, some maybe veiled threats that, that, you know, if Republicans cross former President Trump, they do so at their own peril. The threat is about what could happen as a result of a, of a trial or a vote that would ultimately remove President Trump from consideration uh, going forward. Uh, he, he termed it, Mr. Casper termed it as a disenfranchisement for tens of millions of voters who might choose to, to vote for President Trump. And yes, uh, the, the way that it was cast as the, uh, the most disunifying thing that could happen at this moment, I do think was something of a veiled threat about what might happen uh, if, if, if this happened, if for the first time in, in the history of this country, an individual is barred specifically from, from seeking the presidency again. Uh, it was cast, I think, you know, rather, rather you know, oversimplifying the case to say that Democrats just fear Donald Trump uh, coming back uh, and, and beating them. I think actually the politically easier thing would be for them to, to drop this and move on to the Biden agenda and move on to 2024. But I, I don't know how you read that as anything other than a veil threat to say, look at these divisions in the country, you're going to make them worse. And by the way, remember what happened last time that, uh, that a whole lot of Trump voters felt like uh, they weren't getting uh, treated fairly. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, the White House stressed today that President Biden is not focused on all of this. Let's bring back Karen Travers, our White House correspondent. Instead, the White House said he was focused on addressing the needs of the American people. Yeah, the focus was on the economy today for President Biden. Uh, he met with CEOs in the Oval Office today to talk about ways to jumpstart the economy. And, and his message is people are hurting. There are a lot of people who need help right now, and that's the job that he has to do, and that uh, he's not going to weigh in on what's happening on Capitol Hill. He was pretty emphatic on this. He said, that's all I'm going to have to say about impeachment, which is they got a job to do, and they're going to do it. Now, Aaron, the White House said, you know, yes, impeachment is a big story. They're not trying to downplay this. And they're also not trying to counter program in any way. They're not trying to take attention away. They understand that this is important for uh, there to be accountability for the Democrats to make this case against the former president. But they're also proceeding with their agenda as planned for this week, as if impeachment was never going to happen. And we're going to see the president tomorrow go to the Pentagon. We'll see him at the uh, National Institutes of Health on Thursday. And, you know, we're going to keep asking them questions about this, but they made it very clear today that they are not going to weigh in on every twist and turn of the impeachment trial because they really believe it's not going to help advance their agenda. They would like this wrapped up quickly so the Senate can get back to work on the agenda, including the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. But I think the big message is the president, senior officials say senators decide the process and they're going to decide the former president's fate. ABC News White House correspondent Karen Travers, there will be no escaping this impeachment trial, which will begin with opening arguments at high noon Eastern time on Wednesday. And it appears Democrats are relying heavily on emotion. We'll take a look at that part of the story next. I'm Aaron Katursky, and you're listening to an ABC News special. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. 
We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts. People who disappear without a trace. The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. You're listening to an ABC News special. The impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky. Six Senate Republicans joined the Democrats in rejecting former President Trump's attempt to stop his impeachment trial. It resumes tomorrow, but the broad approaches became clear on this opening day. ABC's Terry Moran is with us from Washington. Uh, Terry, the prosecutors, the impeachment managers, sure opened with a gut punch. They did. It was visceral, as you say. It was taking the senators and the country back to those horrific moments of that insurrectionist attack on the Capitol. The senators, victims in that attack, really. Uh, There was blood spilled right outside the door of their chamber. It it was an extraordinary uh, moment uh, put together in a timeline that linked Donald Trump's words, his actions, and his inaction to what was happening at the scene of the crime, the chamber where this trial is being held, that building. Incredible that the, the, the venue is also the crime scene. It really is. And, and I think one of the things that, that uh, Trump's defenders are counting on, in fact, they're explicitly arguing, is the country must move on, right? We've got pressing problems to deal with and need pragmatic solutions to them. And looking backward to this horrific moment will definitely take the energy of the country away from those problems. On the other hand, the trauma... That, that I think most citizens feel, whether they're in the Senate or not, watching that, that attack happen again. That's a fact of our present day life. That's a fact of our future as well. And some kind of reckoning is demanded of it. And that is really what the Senate is, is trying to come to grips with, how to go forward while really dealing with one of the worst things that's ever happened in America. The House impeachment managers say that trauma means there must be accountability for someone they've said is singularly responsible for it. On the other hand, the the president's defenders said that trauma may have allowed us to uh, go a bit blind and and substitute our our recoil and our rage for for what's clearly political speech. 
Well, that that's what they said. As far as we could tell, look, the, the president did not get uh, top flight lawyering today, for, certainly from his lead lawyer, Bruce Castor, who uh, acknowledged. He, he said he worked as a congressional aide 40 years ago. He said, I got lost in this building. Then I, I got lost today. Well, he was lost out there. It was a meandering uh, kind of a, an argument that that did eventually get to that point, he, he said, which is which is twofold, which is the president you know, did not incite and 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 that the president has a right to speak. Well, the president has a right to speak, but the impeachment clauses in the Constitution, if that speech becomes dangerous to the republic, you can imagine a president who would say terribly racist things that 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 certain kinds of people are a danger to the country and 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 if people went out and acted on the president's uh, calls to action, you know these people must be put down. That would be impeachable and conviction uh, convicting, even though that is protected by free speech by the First Amendment. So the president is held to a different standard under the impeachment clause. But what they were really arguing out there, trying to, was that he can't even be tried. That that's the partisan. Uh, weapon that Democrats are wielding and that the country will pay a price for it. That's what Trump's lawyers were, were arguing, that there'll be no end to impeachments, that former officials will be hauled before Congress all the time, uh, and that the, this, the country's never done this before for a very good reason, because it's a bad idea, and that the framers, in their view, specifically forbade it. Mm, uh, indeed, uh, Eric Holder's ears must have perked up when his name was uh, invoked by the Trump yeah, defense. Uh, yeah, he, they, they said, you know, may, maybe when the winds political winds change and Republicans are in charge, they'll bring Eric Holder back to try impeach him on the fast and furious stuff. There's a big difference. Donald Trump was impeached, charged by the House of Representatives while he was in office, Eric Holder not. And the Democrats, the managers, had a very careful presentation in which they grounded their claim that the Constitution provides for the impeachment and the trial of an impeachment after a person leaves office, including a president. They grounded it in all kinds of precedent and history and a vote of the Senate itself back in the 19th century. The, the Trump lawyers just didn't do as good a job out there. ABC's Terry Moran. I want to bring uh, David Super into our conversation from Georgetown Law. Where were the president's lawyers effective, and, and where did they fall short today? Uh, I don't think they were very effective at all. Um, the most effective argument they made was a veiled threat that there'll be political consequences to Republicans that abandon the president, and I think that is the core of their argument. It's not very attractive, but I think that's what they're counting on. And, and, and did the House managers make the case? Um, I think they did. Uh, they made the case for what they were arguing today. Today was the question of constitutionality, and the precedents on this, uh, such as they are, are quite clear. There's nothing in the Constitution that prohibits this, and because a conviction has two consequences, one of which is irrelevant, but one of which is not uh, disqualification from future office, uh, they can't make the argument that this is moot. It simply isn't moot. Uh, so I think uh, on this on this issue, the House managers made their argument. We'll obviously have to see whether the House managers falter on the arguments going forward or whether the president's lawyers uh, rally. You know, and, and as we were discussing with Terry Moran there, that the Democrats made clear they are going to rely heavily on emotion to help make their case. Uh, that, of course, is not a legal argument. Where can it be effective and, and where might it be too much? 
I think many people feel an identification with the United States Capitol and with our country having a very long history of order, orderly transfers of power. And uh, I think that this appeal is uh, arguing that we should all feel that we lost something, not just the people who were huddled in offices with the rioters trying to break down their doors, but all of us lost something. And that's the connection I think they're trying to make. There's one other thing they may try to do, and that is invoke the words of some of the the rioters themselves. We've counted no fewer than 15 who have been quoted in court records saying that I did this because I was following the instructions of Donald Trump. Is that going to be an effective part of the argument? It's a part of the argument. Uh, None of us can control what other people think our intentions are. Uh, But the president had several hours to correct that. By all accounts, he was watching it on live TV. He knew what was being said. He knew what was being done. And he used very timid words, very ambiguous words, uh, until after the police had already uh, taken back control. And only then uh, did he tell people to go home. So uh, you can debate whether or not the president's saying different rules apply and they needed to fight like hell were inciting this. But if they weren't inciting this, he passed up on several hours of opportunities uh, to change the situation and might have saved some lives. If there was a standout moment from the start of former President Trump's second impeachment trial, it may have been from lead House impeachment manager Jamie Raskin, who gave an emotional account of being at the Capitol January 6th with his daughter and with his son-in-law, ABC News political analyst Steve Roberts is with us. He had just lost a son to suicide, Steve, and he became emotional because he said his daughter told him she didn't want to come back to the Capitol. Well, it was a very touching moment. Yes, it's true. His middle child, Tommy, committed suicide. He was a a student at the Harvard Law School, which is where Jamie Raskin went and where he met his wife, Sarah Bloom Raskin, who was uh, Undersecretary of the Treasury under Obama. Uh, and um, he uh, has been gripped by the memory of, of, of his son. And it's, uh, it moved him deeply, of course, but also um, drove him to uh, accept this responsibility even as he was grieving. Um, he's 58 years old. He represents the district in suburban Maryland where I happen to live. Um, he's only in his third term, but he, he spent... Uh, two decades as a constitutional law professor at American University Law School. And um, that's why he was part, it was it was a combination of his depth of emotions, but also his erudition. Um, he's a true constitutional scholar, uh, and, and that showed as well. And it's a, uh, but he captured something profound today because he was very human. And so often debates in Washington are so abstract. And even this legal debate turns so personal and so human um, for Jamie Raskin today. And it, you're right, Aaron, it was an indelible moment. ABC News political analyst Steve Roberts with us and David Super from Georgetown Law is, is also with us. This was the, the moment when Raskin said, uh, recounting what his daughter told him from January 6th, Dad, I don't want to come back to the Capitol of all the terrible, brutal things that I saw and I heard on that day, he said, that one hit me hardest. Uh, that is not a legal argument, uh, but 
will the former president's attorneys have to, to grapple with it at all? Oh, I think they will. Uh, I think that this is, uh, in significant part, a political trial in the broadest sense of the term. Uh, it is being tried in front of the American public, and if the American public uh, becomes even angrier than they already are, it will be very difficult for senators to vote to acquit. David Super from Georgetown Law. Th- this was the this was the moment. She said, "Dad, I don't want to come back to the Capitol." <laughs> Of all the terrible, brutal things I saw and I heard on that day, and since then, that one hit me the hardest. ABC's Elizabeth Schulze joins us from Washington. How were senators in the room reacting at that point? Yeah, it was pretty emotional. I mean, the, we have to remember that these senators were there when this attack happened. And, and as we heard from Congressman Raskman, this is very, very close to them. This is this is real. And after that 13 minute video played that replayed the Capitol attack and juxtaposed the video of the rioters with former President Trump's speech and his comments telling them to fight at the Capitol, Essentially, there was silence in the chamber. It was completely silent for about 10 seconds before Congressman Raskin started speaking again. So we know that part of the the effort here from the House impeachment managers is to have the senators relive this experience. And it's hard not to get emotional when you're listening to something like that. Let me pull Rick Klein, our political director, into the conversation. Uh, Rick, take it from here. The the opening arguments will begin in earnest starting tomorrow. does do Raskin and the other House impeachment managers summon that emotion again? I have to think that they will. I mean, I, I was such a telling moment that the the, the President Trump's defense uh, attorneys uh, were caught unawares with the emotion that they they brought to the testimony today. This was just supposed to be about the narrow constitutional question. But I think the video is compelling. The storytelling is compelling. And I think for the next phase of this uh, of this impeachment trial, uh, the idea of, of tying the events directly to President Trump is the bar that the impeachment managers want to raise. They're realistic about the prospects of this, but they feel like it's an important statement uh, for history, uh, for accountability. Uh, and I think just to, to, to mark where we are as a country and to, to establish how what the president thought and did in real time was relevant and, and to draw that direct through line from those statements to those actions. Uh, and I think also focus on the president's actions and lack thereof on January 6th itself. The U.S. Senate rejected former President Trump's constitutional objection to his impeachment trial. So opening arguments begin tomorrow. ABC's Elizabeth Schulze is going to be following. How's it going to go? So, well, they're going to start around noon tomorrow, and each side will have about 16 hours to make their opening arguments. So we'll be starting with the Democratic House impeachment managers, likely will be taking place over the course of two days. And as we've been talking about, we expect them to rely heavily on video in these opening arguments. They have teased that they could have some new evidence, some new video evidence that would be released in the next few days. And then we'll hear from former President Trump's legal team after that. The question still is if any witnesses would be called, but it is unlikely at this point, given how quickly each side wants to move forward with this trial and for it to go quickly. We heard from Republican Senator Roy Blunt from Missouri today that this could be done as soon as Sunday. Well, soon as Valentine's Day, ABC's Elizabeth Schulze will be listening to see if there are any surprises from the House impeachment managers. Rick Klein, how's it going to go? 
I think the key from here is is how you get the country to engage in this. There was so much emotion wrapped in day one. The, the real jury in this is the American public. It's not about convincing Republican senators, although there may be a few that support this. It's about engaging and educating and illuminating this moment and, and, and establishing an important uh, guideline and precedent moving forward. And I also am just curious to see how President Trump reacts. He obviously doesn't have his favorite means of communication in Twitter, but based on the, our reporting that he was unhappy with his legal team, I feel like we're primed for some kind of a Trump eruption in some form or fashion. Recline our political director, Steve Roberts, our political analyst. Challenges ahead for, for either side? Well, yes. And one of the challenges that's ahead is for the Democrats and uh, the Biden agenda. I mean, uh, President Biden clearly wants to keep no fingerprints whatsoever on this uh, trial. Um, he's, his spokesman has declined repeatedly to make any comments about it. Uh, and there's a reason for that. Um, uh, it's not just a distraction uh, from uh, his uh, agenda and his uh, drive to pass COVID relief uh, measures, but also it can have a negative effect on his hopes of bipartisanship. He's starting out here with a highly divisive uh, issue. And the Democrats, um, with all the talk from Biden about unity and bipartisanship, there's a real risk here that they get off uh, on the wrong foot with Republicans. So I'm going to be watching that, too. Do Republicans hold it against the Democrats? And does, does that make it more difficult for Biden to pursue his agenda, particularly if he wants any kind of Republican cooperation, Aaron. And our White House correspondent, Karen Travers, real quick, we going to hear any more on this from, from Biden? I don't think any more than we've already heard, at least not until this ends. I, I think then we might hear a response. I do think Steve's point is interesting, and this might be why Biden is saying, I'm going to stay out of it. If this is going to hurt his own efforts, let this be between Senate and Democratic Republicans. Right now, just them. Karen Travers, our White House correspondent. The second impeachment trial's opening arguments for President Trump begin tomorrow. We'll see you then. I'm Aaron Katursky, ABC News. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.